Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. You may be seated tonight for a moment. Just a reminder that next Wednesday, next Wednesday, uh, the focus of uh, this time of our service will be uh, more focused on those ages that are uh, 11 years old and under. And so that's to be taking place next Wednesday. Sister McGee and I are going to be switching off on Wednesdays uh, for a while until we get back to a uh, greater sense of normalcy uh, with our, our Sunday mornings. And so that will be happening next Wednesday. Again, I ask you still come. If you always came on a Wednesday, please be here on a Wednesday. We're just kind of shifting our focus of the content to a different age group focus. All right. Normally here on Wednesday out here in the audience, I focus on an adult age group. So we're just focusing on a so we're still having church. There's still something that will be said that we'll be able to tuck into your spirit something that you'll be able to glean from of some 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 fashion. So please come on Wednesday night. Also, this coming Sunday morning is the last strictly online Sunday morning service. What that means is this. After this coming Sunday, the 16th, we'll be having Sunday morning and Sunday night service in-house. All right, so the doors will be open. That is our plan, and that is our intention, to have Sunday morning and Sunday night service. In that Sunday morning service, whenever it's normal class time, uh, Brother Alex Mason and his class will be, be dismissed as they used to be able to go to their room and uh, have class. If parents that have children in that class want them to wear masks, that is entirely up to you as a parent. That is left to your discretion. But they are going to be having class, and those ages, again, of 11 below, they're still going to be out here for a period of time uh, until until we feel as though that we can move in that direction. When I say we, I mean me, okay, uh, until I feel like we can move in that direction and such. So, And any of that is subject to change in a moment, as you all know, whether deemed by the government or deemed by me. You know, honestly, so we'll just keep a pulse of all of that. So that's kind of where we are here for the month of August. So we're kind of, you know, getting back some. I plan on tonight after this all said and done, pulling all these blue X's off the floor up here. They'll be gone. I think everybody knows you're not ignorant. All right. Everybody knows. And if you want to come forward during service to worship, man, you do it. All right. You do it. And so I just just letting you know. Amen. We're going to look at John chapter number five. I have the task tonight of trying to finish up last week and do this week. But I think we can do it. No, no, I'm serious. We're going we're gonna to do this. We're going to finish up chapter 5 tonight in its entirety. All right? And so I was mindful. I didn't, you know, like, okay, let's just throw 20 pages together and plus try to get the other five left. From, no, uh, we'll, we'll get through it here this evening. If anybody remembers last week we were talking about in our series on the book of John, how the Father's will is the Son's work. We concentrated quite a bit upon this dual nature of Jesus Christ aspect, that Father relating to the Spirit because God is a Spirit, the Scripture tells us in John 4, 24, and also this Son aspect being that thing which was made of a woman, the flesh. And so whenever Jesus uses this Father and, and Son uh, language, he's speaking and differentiating between the Spirit and the flesh. 
Amen. And so we see a lot of that here in John chapter number five. And we talked about last week a couple of concepts that Jesus kind of uh, underscored in his discourse. One was talking about like uh, uh, the raising of the dead or the resurrection. And there was another aspect we never got to. You guys wouldn't let me get there. And that was about uh, uh, judgment, which in reality, those things kind of go hand in hand if you really start to think about it. Amen. And so I'm going to read the, the verses of Scripture because in these verses, there's kind of some overlap. It's not just clear cut. These are judgment. These are there's a little bit of an overlap. So I'm going to read in your hearing tonight to get us started uh, the scriptures that uh, I deem as pertaining uh, to judgment uh, in John chapter number five that I read uh, last week. So I'm going to start with verse 22 and read a few verses. And if you just follow my lead, I'll tell you where we're skipping to. Okay. Uh, starting with verse number 22 of John five for the father judgeth no man but have committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. Verily, verily, we read this last week concerning with the resurrection, but I want to read it with also the aspect of judgment. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation but is passed from death unto life. Skipping down to verse 27. And hath given him authority. All right, this is the Father given to the Son authority. And hath given him authority, or the Spirit given to the flesh, as we understand the terminology of Father and Son here. And hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Skipping down to verse 30. I can of mine own self do nothing as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. Amen. So I'm going to finish up that the Father's will is the Son's work. And I, I, have, I have a deadline tonight because we got people getting baptized in Jesus' name here this evening. We have three people to be baptized in Jesus' name. And so uh, Raven and Kennedy... Adams and then also Maddie Adams as well. I was I was looking at I keep records of course of these things and and uh, I was looking that after tonight uh, the past eight out of nine baptisms has been the Adams family and so that is just tremendous. That is just tremendous and something to be uh, celebrated. Amen. And so we're we're happy uh, to be a part of that tonight in their. Uh, steps that they're making, amen, for the Lord and, uh, and being obedient to the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray tonight that God would have his perfect will here in the next little while. Father, I come to you this evening. I'm so thankful, Lord, today, God, for your love and your mercy. I pray, oh God, that you're able to help us this evening. God, minister, Lord God, through your word. I pray, oh God, we need, Lord Jesus, God, instruction of the word. I pray, oh Lord, today, God, we know, Lord Jesus, that it can help guide and direct and order our paths. God, give us instruction and wisdom, perhaps, God, where we need it. God, and will not fail, Lord Jesus, to thank you, Lord, for what you accomplish, Lord, in this place tonight, in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen. Everybody say amen. amen. Honestly, I was in the baptismal a little bit today, uh, just using just a little cleaner there on it. Some things sometimes settle on the water. And I was thinking about all the Adams family that's went through there. You know, sometimes people, you know, name, you know, life centers after people that, man, they're be horrible. I have to, you know, start naming the baptism, the Adam's baptism or something because, 
so many different ones that ran through there, you know. But uh, no, I was just joking. But it is it is something to consider and think about all the different ones. Uh, when you get to it, there's just not a whole lot many more of the family left, you know, to be baptized in Jesus' name. That's all right. There's nothing wrong with that, sis. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Amen. <clears throat> so judgment, the concept of judgment that's interwoven in the Scripture here in John chapter number John chapter number 5. Again, he addressed the raising of the dead, the resurrection, but also judgment. That the Father uh, could raise some to life and said, but that, that ability is also given to the Son. And that's only because, we understand this, right? That's only because that God was manifested in the flesh as Jesus Christ. And so whatever God the Spirit could do uh, it enabled the flesh of Jesus Christ in order to accomplish or be done. But many times Jesus points all the glory, if you'll notice in Scripture, he points the glory to his Father, to God, because it was the empowerment that came from the Spirit that enabled the flesh to do what the flesh did. And so when we look in Scripture, Abraham uh, in the Old Testament concerning uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and God, these aspects of being judged, Abraham referenced God in the Old Testament, uh, God as father, if you will, when he uh, was given consideration concerning Sodom and Gomorrah. You remember the angels that came and spoke to Abraham. And God is even like, should I show Abraham what I'm about to do? And he considered Abraham a friend. And therefore, he relayed to Abraham that he was on the verge of bringing destruction to Sodom and Gomorrah because of the wickedness of the city. And so as Abraham, of course, we learn, does the bargaining with God back and forth. Will, will you save it for 45, 40, you know, and at 10 and such, that Abraham finally gives a, a, a declaration, if you will, unto the Lord. And he says, he does it in question form, but it's a statement reality. He says in Genesis 18 and verse 25, he said, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And he's speaking to God uh, primarily as Father. Would not the judge of all the earth do right? However, Jesus says in verse number 22 that the Father judges no man. But the Son will judge because it has been committed or given to him by his Father. And so we know God as the Spirit in the Old Testament Scripture judged mankind. But now that God has made himself a body known among the people of that day as Jesus Christ's flesh, he said, I'm giving him the authority to judge and I've committed that unto him. He goes on to say in the scripture that to honor the son is to honor the father. But to not honor the son is to not honor the father. Basically saying this, that people's rejection or their acceptance of Jesus Christ, amen, as Jesus judges their life in the moment that they make their decision, amen. And so Jesus in many ways was a judge because how they accepted or rejected him gave a judgment upon their lives. You'll remember from earlier studies that we've had, I'm sorry we're in a series, of, if you're just flying in for the first time, we already got several weeks behind this, uh, but I'll, I'll try to cover you know those spots. If you'll remember back in our series that the Bible said, Jesus even said in the book of John said that the world was already condemned. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world by him might be saved. All right, the world, according to the scripture, was already condemned. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, 
but he came to save the world. But when the world believes, and we know in the context of John that belief goes beyond just belief but obedience, that when the world believes or obeys Jesus Christ and they're born of the water and of the Spirit, as Jesus explained to Nicodemus, they are saved. But when they reject Jesus Christ and his ways, then they are essentially left in their condemned state. That's how they were to begin with. That's how they'll be to end with. If they don't accept the Lord and obey, being baptized in his name and filled with his spirit. And so Christ isn't condemning anything. He's just leaving somebody in the state that they are when they reject him. And so by that virtue, God says, I've given judgment to my son. Because based upon how they respond to him is how they're really responding to me. Amen. And so this is what we have uh, conveyed here in the scripture. Amen. The Bible says in John chapter number 3 and verse number 18, it says, He that believeth on him, it's speaking of Jesus, the son, the flesh, is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And so the Father, the Spirit, that is, may not judge any man directly, but all men are judged by their response to Jesus Christ, which is the only image of God that we'll ever have. Amen. And so in that respect, judgment is given to the Son. The Bible says in Acts 17 and verse 31, because he, this is speaking of God, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness. How? By that man, speaking of Jesus Christ, by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. And the very next verse tells us why this this command is so. He's saying there is a fixed day of judgment. He says there's going to be a fixed day of judgment. And so the people should repent, and they should repent because judgment is coming, right? And how is God going to judge the world? Based upon that man Christ Jesus that he appointed, how people again respond to him. The the Greek verb judge means to divide or to separate. And so the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, or rather in the book of Acts, it's being spoken that there was for sure a day of judgment that was coming. There's a day, and that's true for us. Amen. That's true for the world. That's true for us. There is a day of judgment that is coming. But the, 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 the writer there in Acts, Luke, he's telling them the day of judgment is coming based upon this, based upon the reality that God raised Jesus from the dead. In other words, there were people in that hour and that day that denied that there was anything beyond life. They didn't believe in an afterlife. They didn't believe in anything beyond the life that they were living. They didn't believe in anything beyond the grave. But with that type of mindset, there's little hope even for the belief in a resurrection when you don't believe there's nothing beyond now, nothing beyond then. Amen. And so there were three responses that were coming about in the day that the book of Acts was written about a resurrection. The Bible says some people mocked concerning the idea of a resurrection. There were others that said, 
They were the procrastinators. We'll hear you again on this matter. Right? Hey, man, you've never been in those spots, have you? Not now, Brother McGee. I'll hear you again when you preach about it again on the matter. Amen. And there were some that believed. So we had mockers, we had procrastinators, and some that believed. And so the people appeased their own minds that if I don't accept the resurrection, I don't have to worry about judgment. Right? Because resurrection and judgment in many regards kind of go hand in hand. If I don't accept the resurrection, I don't have to worry about judgment. But in reality, the fact of the matter is this. Judgment is coming because the judge's standard rose from the grave. Uh Uh-huh. God said, he said, yes, there's going to be judgment. He said, because I'm going to judge the world based upon this man, Christ Jesus, which I ordained, which I raised from the grave. He said, so judgment is sure because he got up. Amen. Judgment is sure because he's no longer in the grave. And so whenever the standard for judgment arose from the grave, he's the standard. I'm not the standard. Uh, The dogmas and doctrines of, per se, the first apostolic church ain't the standard. Christ is the standard. He's the standard. And as a result of that, then he's the judge. He's the measuring stick whereby we measure ourselves. The Bible tells us in the New Testament Scripture it's not wise for us to measure ourselves among ourselves, right? There's only really one standard or measurement to be made, and that is with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is important then in verse number 27 as we read a little further that he have given him authority to execute judgment because the Father gave the Son. The Spirit gave the flesh the authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. He is the Son of Man. Son of Man. Interesting. A lot of times you see uh, Jesus referred to as the Son of God. And then there are instances that you see him referred to as the Son of Man. This Son of Man terminology goes all the way back to the Old Testament. All the way back to the Old Testament in the book of Daniel. I know we had a series on that a long time ago. Amen. But in the book of Daniel, chapter number 7, the son of man terminology comes to the surface. Amen. And it's not just talking about a prophet because you read the book of Ezekiel, and Ezekiel all the time is referred to as the son of man, you know, the prophet of God. But we're talking about a son of man, talking about the Messiah, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Daniel 7, there were some things that took place. It started going through all these weird animals that, that, that represented different kingdoms over time. There were lions, and there were bears, and there were leopards. Oh, my And there were the dreadful beasts that had ten horns that came up on it. And one horn came up, took three horns away. And it was typifying of the Antichrist. And had all these things. But the Bible says in all of that setting of there being the Babylonian Empire, it falling away. Coming the Medo-Persian Empire, that falling away. Coming the Greek Empire, then the Roman Empire. And then some empire that will rise in our day of ten horns, so to speak. Ten kingdoms, I don't have time to go into all that. It speaks then about the Son of Man that will come. And it speaks of the Son of Man that will come that quite differently from any previous kingdom before him, his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. Amen. His dominion would not just be over a certain portion of the, the world. 
but it be an everlasting dominion. It's in that context that we see this, this really burgeoning forth, this son of man terminology. Don't you know that all these Jews that are having discourse with Jesus right now understand back the old written prophecies of Daniel and all of these things that speaks about these different kingdoms? They had already seen. Look, at this point in time, whenever Jesus is speaking, they've already seen Babylon rise and fall. They've already seen Medo-Persia rise and fall. They've already seen Greek rise and fall. And now they're living in the Roman Empire. And yet they're talking about, hey, I've given Jesus, I've given my son authority to execute judgment because he's the son of man. Wait a minute. What? He's the son of man. Yeah, he's the one that's going to have everlasting dominion. He's the one that's going to have an everlasting kingdom that will not be destroyed. Amen. It's going to be his. And so he follows that up with verse number 30 in many regards. And this is where I set the title really of our whole lesson last week around this. He says, because he says, let me read it again. I can of mine own self do nothing as I hear I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will. Jesus says the son says that, but the will of the father, the will of the spirit that has sent me. So Jesus bears witness of the Spirit because he's got flesh and blood. Where they could not see him before, they see him now. Right? They may have seen God at any time. Where they could not see him before, they see him now. But also Jesus' judgment was the judgment of God. Why? Because anything that Jesus did is what the Spirit wanted done. And so if anybody had difficulty with Jesus, they'd have difficulty with the Father, the Spirit that sent him because he only did the commands of the Spirit. And that's how if you're going to honor him, you're going to honor that. Or if you're going to do wrongly to him, then you've done wrongly to him. Amen. All right? Spirit or flesh, it did not matter. So with all of that being said tonight, and trying to wrap this up in just a nice little bow and put it on it and move on, uh, whenever we consider... We talk about this father-son language. Again, the reason why sometimes uh, it's difficult, even across the board, apostolic Pentecostal, to read father-son language is because we got a lens that was created around 381 A.D., all right? That a, a doctrine that you read and can see that it came into existence and was developed through time, all right? Uh, there's the 325 Nicene Creed. There's the 381, uh, the, the Council of Constantinople, until they finally developed what was known as a Trinitarian doctrine. One God in three persons, co-equal, co-eternal, co-substantial. So that's the reason why people have problems reading father-son language, because they're reading it through a lens from 381, 325 A.D. But you don't need to read it through something that's been developed by the hand of a man, man through time. You need to read it through his word. That's the reason why the Jews had no problem with it, or they actually did have a problem, you know, with some things just because they didn't understand that God manifested himself in the flesh as Jesus Christ because they were looking through the lens of the Old Testament where there's over 3,000 scriptures that's referencing a one God. But now that one God had come down in one person. Jesus Christ, and that's the only person of God there ever was. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the express image, the Bible says, which in the Greek, that means the exact copy. 
of the essence of everything that God was meant to be displayed in the flesh. And so whenever we come to this, some people get mixed up. They see God the Father and they see God the Son. But God the Son, I tell you again, God the Son terminology is nowhere in the Bible. Nowhere. You go online tonight, go to a concordance and put in the phrase, the exact phrase, God the Son, in that order, you will not find it come up. It's always the Son of God. Amen. It's not God the Son. It, it, it's, it's not Jesus, just help me. I can't get into Godhead. We'll do that on Sunday morning here real soon. Amen. But God the Son. And so they're thinking about a second person of the Godhead and a first person of a Godhead, and they understand as these being equal, right? Because hmm? when someone would read like uh, verse number 18 talking about, but said also that God was his Father making himself equal with God. Well, God the Son is making himself equal with God the Father. All right? Two persons of the Godhead are making themselves equal with one another. Through the mindset of Trinitarian doctrine who says there's one God in three persons, co-equal, co-substantial. They're saying no problem. That's what our doctrine says. They're equal with one another. But let me ask you this just real quickly, if that's the case. If there is this equality, all right, if it's two persons and there is this equality, I'm talking through the line of Trinitarian doctrine right now. If there is two persons here and they're, they're, they're equal, then tell me why we read through John 5, like verses 17 through 47 or just 17 through 30, and you'll see where the Father gave the Son judgment, where the Father gave him the ability to raise life, where the Father gave him authority. If they're equal, why does the Father got to give the Son anything? And so that, that's, that's what we deal with a little bit in, in John. Again, I'm telling you tonight as your pastor, it's nothing to be afraid of. That terminology is nothing to be afraid of. It does denote for us the flesh of the Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit. Amen. The divine side and the human side. Can someone say amen? Amen. amen. Let's go on tonight. I want to teach you a second lesson. <laughs> I want to go on here this evening. If we can go on to John chapter number 5, and I'll start reading with verse 31, and if my thing will hear up, I don't know if it's going to cooperate here with me. Anyway, John chapter number 5, I'll start reading with verse 31. I'll see if I can get this up or not. Who knows where it is. There we go. Verse 31. I'm going to read till 47, okay? So you guys are just happy that you're seated. All right. Jesus continues. He says, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another that beareth witness of me, and I know that the witness, that the witness which he witnesseth of me is true. Ye sent unto John, and he bear witness unto the truth. But I receive not testimony from man, but these things I say, that ye might be saved. He was a burning and shining light, and ye were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. But I have a greater witness than that of John. For the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. And the Father himself which hath sent me hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his shape. Ye have, not, ye have not his word abiding in you. For whom he hath sent him ye believe not. 
He says, search the scriptures. For in them you think ye have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me, Jesus says. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. I receive not honor from men, but I know you that ye have not the love of God in you. I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. How can ye believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if ye believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? Now, I've labeled this whole section right here, call to witness. You know how in the court setting, an attorney says, uh, Judge, I'd like to call to, uh, to witness such and such. Jesus is calling some to witness. He is. When we look at this, remember, there have been some very strong accusations on the table against Jesus in this chapter. Number one, he didn't honor the Sabbath, right? Huh? He healed on the Sabbath day. He told that man, take up his bed and walk. He did not honor the Sabbath according to their traditions, all right, according to their traditions. And so according to their traditional ways, something else, since he said, my father, right, remember that? My father, referring to God as my father rather than our father, they thought him making himself equal with God, which if that was what he was doing, that was blasphemy according to them. That was a capital offense to them. But Jesus wasn't making himself equal with God again as another entity or as another person or as another God in addition to the God of heaven. No. Amen. He was equal to God in the sense that he was God manifest in the flesh. He was the invisible father revealed and made known by fleshly human body that he had. And so he clearly declares to them in verse 37 that they had neither heard nor seen, amen, the father. They hadn't seen the father, his shape at any time until what? Until God came down among us and walked as a man, as Jesus Christ. All right? So he said that. So the first portion of Jesus' discourse is explaining, as we did last week a little bit tonight, this father-son-spirit-flesh relationship. Amen? He's bearing, in doing that, Sister Sheila, he's bearing witness of himself. This is how it is, guys. The father says this, I do it. He's bearing witness of himself. So he comes in in verse number 31 and says, if I bear witness of myself, right, my witness is not true. Not so much that it for sure isn't true, but in the eyes and the ears of those that would hear him, it would not be true. Because if we're talking about a capital offense, somebody that's being tried for blasphemy, he's leaning on the grounds of a court of law. In a court of law, a person just can't just basically have their own testimony. All right? And it just to be totally legit by what they say. It's good to have a witness. Old Testament law in particular. Amen. In judicial cases concerning Old Testament law, amen, Jesus said, I'm going to approach this just like the old law and judicial process of the law is and that is a person's testimony cannot stand alone there must be other witnesses either to validate or to accuse the person on trial and we have old testament and new testament precedents for this the bible tells us that in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be 
establish. In other words, a man cannot, a man that supposedly committed a murder or put somebody to death, he could not be put to death because one person witnessed against him that he'd done the deed. He had to have at least two or even three to have harmony in their witness. Yes, that guy did wrong in order to die. But just as much as they could testify against a person, they could also testify for a person. They could either confirm or deny the allegations that was against the man. So Jesus is on trial. He's already given witness of himself, but he says, I know this, this just is not going to bear true to you. We're treating this as a judicial case because you think I blaspheme. He said, well, let me call my first witness. Amen. Let me call my first witness. I would like to call the first witness to stand, John the Baptist. He says, you all remember John. John, according to the first chapter of the book of John, John was sent by God to be what? A witness. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness of the light. Amen. John the Baptist even attempted for the people prior to John 5 to unravel this father-son relationship of Jesus Christ on the earth because John, amen, told the people, John the Baptist told the people on more than one occasion, we've already looked at this, he's told the people on more than one occasion, he said Jesus, referring to this, this guy that was coming, he said Jesus comes after me, all right, referring to his literal humanity. John the Baptist was born six months before Jesus Christ. And so in the literal human flesh side of Jesus, Jesus came after John the Baptist. But John doesn't stop there. He said, he's come, he's come after me, but he's preferred before me, and he was, he says, before me. <laughs> How in the world can this Jesus Christ both come after you and be before you, John? Glad you asked because there is a dual nature. This is a man, but he's also divine. This is God in the flesh, and he's coming after me in his flesh, but he's been before me in his spirit. Jesus is like, I'd like to call witness John. He's been, he's been already doing it. He's already been witnessing, trying to unveil and uncover to you that I'm more than just a carpenter's son. I'm more than just born in a stable with Joseph and Mary. I am the great God Almighty. Amen. I was born in the world, but I made the world before I was ever born into the world. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. She says, I got a witness over here. Could you, could you hear him out? We got some evidence here we'd like to lay before you. Jesus said that, that, that they sent unto John. The Jews sent unto John, remember? They sent scribes. They sent Pharisees. Uh-huh. They sent council members. They sent unto John. And the Bible says that John testified the truth. They sent all these priests and these Levites and Pharisees. They're questioning John. What are they doing? John, what's your identity? John, what's your purpose? Uh, this is kind of just me regurgitating stuff we've already looked at, but it's important right now because Jesus said, I got a witness over here. And what John clearly tell them, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah. But there's one coming after me who's going to take away the sin of the world. Whew. 
There's one coming. Johnny, if you're not Elias, if you're not Jeremiah, if you're not one of the prophets, if you're not the Christ, then why in the world are you baptizing? You remember this? He says, I tell you. He said, the reason why I'm baptizing is because while I baptize, it's going to manifest to all Israel. This person I'm going to baptize, who, when I baptize him, there's going to come a dove down upon his head. There's going to be a voice from heaven. And when that happens, me and all of Israel is going to know that's the person that will not just baptize with water, but he'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost. John, is anybody hearing John's witness over here? This is my first witness, John. Woo! Ha-ha! Hallelujah! And so we have the man Christ Jesus because the Spirit willed it for the world to be saved. He sent his son that they might be saved. He sent flesh and blood so it could take place and happen. John 5, verse 34. But I receive not, Jesus says, the testimony for man, but these things I say that you might be saved. That's real. Jesus, do you know how good of an attorney you are or not? I mean, you're calling your first witness. It's John the Baptist, a man in shoe leather, you know, born of a, a human mother and father. He, you know, we got his testimony, his witness and spill, and it's really good. And then all of a sudden you walk up and say, well, I receive not the testimony of man. Cutting your throat, Jesus. I mean, that John, good witness, you know, bearing witness to the light here. And you're now saying, <clears throat> I receive not the testimony of men, but things, these things that I say that you might be saved. <laughs> you know what Jesus is saying in this moment? Jesus is letting them know this is important. That he, Jesus, didn't need John's testimony. But they needed John's testimony. There's just something about hearing another human being give witness about the Lord. There's just something about when you open your mouth about your experience with God to somebody else that's not had an experience with God. God's not growing any bigger or smaller by what you just said, but you've just had influence because you're a peer. Jesus says, I, I, I didn't need his testimony. But you all needed his testimony. I didn't need the testimony of a man to validate who I was. But you all were needing a testimony of a man to help validate who I was in your ears and in your sight. So John the Baptist, in essence, was for the benefit of the people. His testimony was to provide hopes, if you will, in some way a hope in order to steer them toward being saved and finding salvation. But you know what happens? People get weary with human testimonies too, don't they? Because after a while, John's luster of his testimony seemed to lose its power in their lives and the very man that they would maybe use, listen to or even be baptized by, they imprison and eventually what? Totally take his life. But Jesus says, that's all right. I'd like to call my second witness to the stand, please. So I receive not the witness of man, John the Baptist, for you all anyway. He's not going to add any height to my stature or anything. I want to call my second witness the works that I've done. Or maybe even more accurately, the works of my father, because I don't do anything unless the father wants it. I don't do anything unless the spirit wants it. So I want to call my works to the stand. And he says that he considers his works to be a greater witness than even John the Baptist. Because the works were the proof 
that he had been sent by his father or more plainly that he was the father. (laughs) He was God. Remember, back in our Isaiah 35 scriptures, your God's going to come. Your God's going to save you. And when he does, blind eyes are going to be open. The the lame's going to leap. Paul, this, he's saying, let my works testify. Let them be a witness because everything that I do is what the Old Testament prophets said that God would do. I'm not a separate God. I'm not a separate entity. I'm not a separate person. I'm him in flesh. Let let my work speak for me. Oh, hold on. Hold on. I have a third witness I'd like to call to the stage. Yes, I would. My third witness, I'd like to call the Spirit, the Father. I'd like to call him to the witness. So he calls. So you see what Jesus is doing here? He's getting this two or three witness thing going on. Something that they could agree upon from the Old Testament out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. Let every word be established. He says, I've had John. That's really been for your benefit. He said, I have my works. He says, but here, here is the Father. Here, here is the Spirit. He has given witness as well. And note the audacity of Jesus. He tells them, you guys don't have my word, his word abiding in you. Because you don't believe him. You don't believe the son. You don't believe Jesus. You don't believe him whom he sent. You you don't have his word in you because you don't believe the son that he sent. You don't believe that word was made flesh. The Bible says in John 5 verse 39, Jesus says, search the scriptures. Here he goes. For in them ye think ye have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. He says, ye will, ye will not come to me that ye might have life. <laughs> He's really calling another witness here in reality. He's saying, search the scriptures. See, you don't have the, bur- the word abiding in you because you didn't accept the Lord Jesus Christ here upon this earth. He says, you don't have the word abiding in you. He said, search the scriptures. He says, and as you have done, you Jews, as you've done, you search the Old Testament writ. He says, you think that ye have eternal life. In the scriptures. Here's what he says. He says those same scriptures that you look to. That you believe you have eternal life. They talk about me. Jesus Christ. Yet here's what he says. The wow moment. He says but you won't come to me. To have life. Here's here's the easiest way I can explain this to you. Verses 39 and 40. There's an old uh, mathematical expression. Called the transitive property. Anybody that's a math major. Or has ever had math. Probably knows what this means. What this means is this. If A equals B. And A equals C, that means B and C equal each other. He says, you think the scriptures have life. Scripture equals life. He says, I tell you, the scriptures speak of me. Scriptures equal Jesus. He says, but you won't come to me to get life. What's he looking at? He says, because the scriptures have life and they talk about me. It's all about me. Then life should equal me. He says, but you're not coming to me for life. Someone understand what I'm saying right now? See, you're not coming to me for life. And so since you've not coming to me for life, if you reject me, if you reject the word that was made flesh, then you've rejected the very heart of the scriptures that you're searching. You've rejected the very heart of the scriptures that you adore and and that you embrace and that you say we got to keep. If you reject me, you reject the story of the scriptures you're reading. 
Because it's all about me. From Genesis to Revelation, it's all about me. Oh, brother, yes. Whenever Adam and Eve first needed an animal to be slain in order for them not to have figs on their bodies but to be clothed properly, that required sacrifice. That points all the way to Calvary. It's all about him. We could talk about lots following it all about him from Genesis to Revelation, but we don't have to talk. We got to baptize somebody in his name tonight. Amen. So here we have talking about the scriptures, almost like I'd like to call my fourth witness, right? The word. So Jesus has provided, he's provided John the Baptist, he's provided his works, he's provided the Father, the Spirit. When I say the Father, I'm just referring to the Spirit. He's, he's called the Word to the stand. All these to give credence to his nature, his character, his identity. And then in verse 41, he says, I receive not honor from men. So he doesn't receive honor from men. And he's already told he doesn't receive the testimony of men. But in his dialogue with Nicodemus right before that, in John chapter number 2, Jesus had told us that he knows man. He knows man. And that he knew what was in man. That's what he told us. That's what Jesus says. He said, I don't want to receive the honor of man. I know man. I know what's in man. And here he goes on to tell us, after he says that he doesn't receive this honor, he says in verse number 42, he says, I know you. <laughs> now look. Jesus just as humanity knowing somebody, that might be one thing, but knowing them that nobody else knows, that's pointing to more than just a human knowing a human. There's a divine side there that knows stuff about you that no other human knows anything about you. He says, I know you. And he tells them, he says, you, 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 you love, the love of God is not in you. That's pretty bold. Jesus telling them the love of God is not in them. But if we look at some of the earlier things in Scripture, it goes to reason because he already said in verse 38 that the word didn't abide in them. All right. He already said in verse 40 that they weren't coming to him for life. Hmm? And so the knowledge that the man Christ Jesus has, this divine knowledge, not human knowledge, this divine knowledge then, it casts light again on Jesus' divine nature, who he was when he said, you, you don't have the love of God in you. He says in verse 43, I am come in my father's name and you receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. Jesus was during his earthly ministry, God's representation of himself upon the earth. The church fulfills that position now. But as a man, Christ Jesus, he was God's representative upon the earth. Remember, he, the word became flesh and that only begotten of the father declared the father. He revealed the father who had never been seen. He revealed him. He declared him. And as a representative or an ambassador, even as Paul calls it, we don't operate in our own name. We operate in the name of the one that has commissioned us. And so Jesus says, I come in my father's name. Because as the old song says, I came on business for the king. I'm not here for my own business because anything I do is what he wants done, right? 
I, I, I have come in my Father's name. Now let's go just, just I could, we could just, I, I planned maybe going some really deep swimming waters and getting into the Hebrew and all that stuff, but I didn't. I just did. Let's leave it for some other time. But whenever you talk about the name of a person, again, we've learned this throughout time, that the name of a person conveys the character and the nature of a person. Right? Not only did Jesus came in his father's name, he came in his father's character and nature. What are you saying? Jesus came in his father's nature because all of those compound names of the Old Testament, Jehovah, Jireh, Jehovah, Rapha, Jehovah, Nisi, all these things that highlighted different facets of our God. You know, he's our provider. He's our banner. He's our host. He's our healer. He's our shepherd. He's our peace. He says, I've come in the nature. I've come in the name of my father. Because all of those same things you can find in Jesus. We see him just in the 33 and a half years that was on the earth. People finding their provision in him. Their healing in him. Him being their shepherd. He's come in his father's name. But also we understand according to scripture that with the name comes power, right? Right? We know this. We know this from Acts chapter number 3 when Peter and John went to the gate beautiful and there was that man that was lame and they grabbed a hold of him in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Arise and walk and the ankle bones and everything received strength and they were taken before a council in Acts chapter number 4 and the question that was posed to them was this. By what power or by what name? Was this done? Why? Because they made an association. There's power in names. Jesus didn't just come in the nature of his father. He came in the power of his father. He's doing things that his father did through the Old Testament. He did it as a man, following the father's will and the father's design, having the father's power. He came in that power. Someone say amen. Because again, Nicodemus said, no man could do these miracles, Jesus, except God. Except God. So after telling them that he had come in his father's name, we're going to do it. I'm telling you. We're going to do it. After telling them that he had come in his father's name, he begins then to talk about Moses. Because Moses is a definite figure that the Jews would respect, adhere to the writings of Moses, those, those first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah. Amen. He, they would respect him. And so the Jews that, that he addressed were looking according to Jesus, for the approval of men. And we see this. We see the scribes and Pharisees, you know, they, they wanted to choose the chief seats in the synagogues when they went. They wanted to be seen as they prayed. They, all these different little things that they did for what? For man's, oh, look at them. Rah, rah. For the approval of men. Jesus said, you guys are looking for the approval of men. He says, but I'm not going to accuse you because of your lack of belief in Jesus. He says, because that is already evidenced in your lack of belief in the writings of Moses because Moses wrote about me. I don't have to accuse you. You're already accused because you're disbelief. Because you say, Moses, he's the great one. He's the deliverer. Brought us out of Egypt into the land of promise of the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. He brought down, oh, Moses. Jesus says he was writing about me. The Bible says, if I may, in your hearing tonight, Luke, Chapter 24 and verse 27, this is the scripture of the word of God. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded, Jesus expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. She says, I'm going to tell you all about myself by using Moses' writings all the way up through the prophets. Furthermore, everybody remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus? 
Remember that story? Rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus would sit at the rich man's gate daily. He's rich. He was just hoping that he'd get some crumbs that fell from his table. Nothing ever happened. The Bible says they were both taken away. Death, both taken away. The rich man was taken to hell. Lazarus was taken to Abraham's bosom as it's described. And the rich man cries out from hell to Abraham's bosom and says, Abraham, let Lazarus dip his finger in some water and set it to my tongue. He says, I'm sorry that can't happen. There's a great gulf fixed between me and you. You can't come to us and we can't get to you. Now, Folks, there's a whole lot of soberness right there in that moment right there. He says, it can't happen. He says, well, he said, then why don't you send somebody? Why don't you send Lazarus back? Why don't you send rather, why don't you send rather, yes, Lazarus back. And I got five brethren, the rich man saying, and send him to my brethren because they don't want to come to this place of torment. You can read this in Luke. Let me find the reference. Luke 16. Says, well, you, they don't want to come to this torment. But Abraham said, hey, that's what Abraham said. He said, if they did not hear Moses and the prophets, he said, neither would they per- be persuaded if one came from the dead. Now, there is a little touch of tone here right now. Jesus hasn't been crucified yet, so we have a little touch of tone here right now because not only is Abraham probably referring to the Lazarus that he could send, but to the Jesus he sent that they're going to crucify, that's going to resurrect, that if you don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will you hear if one came from the dead. He's going to come, and there's still going to be people deny his message. So Jesus says, I don't have to accuse you. You're already accused because you were not, you're evidently not believing really the writings of Moses like you say because he wrote of me. And so Jesus summed it up like this. I'm coming to a close, all right? Amen. Jesus summed it up like this. If you don't believe Moses' writings, then you're not going to believe my words because he wrote of me. You can stand with me tonight. Jesus presented a very solid case. One witness, two witnesses, three witnesses, four witnesses. Amen. That would come into harmony and agreement about who Jesus was. And yet, after this moment, we're going to find still yet through John, deliberation. Art thou the Christ? Is he the one? All this stuff over and over again. But Jesus has presented a very solid case by calling witnesses to the stand. Tonight, I want somebody to be convinced in this place that God loved you so much that he came down in the form of a man, Christ Jesus. And he died and shed life's blood and resurrected on the third day with dominion and power over death, the grave, so that you could have so that you could live even beyond the grave, not in a place of torment like the rich man, but in a place where there are streets of gold, gates of pearl. Now, we got three baptisms to do, so don't forget about this. They can now prepare as Brother Mason comes, amen, for, uh, they can prepare for baptism as Brother Mason comes, amen. We'll sing a little bit of something. We'll get ready. I'd like everybody to stay, if you will. Amen. Let's baptize these three in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Remember, this coming Sunday, we're still yet online only. All right, Sunday morning. But that's the last Sunday that that's going to be, if we can at all keep the boat afloat and do it. Amen. So be mindful of that as we go uh, to Sunday morning service.
Amen. Aren't you happy for the Adams family? Amen. Tonight, you can be seated if you desire or want to. As they're getting ready, I want to pray real quickly here and there and yon that what has been spoken tonight would be sealed in somebody's heart. Okay, Lord Jesus, I come to you tonight. God, I'm so thankful, Lord Jesus, for your word. I'm thankful, Lord Jesus, God, that I know, Lord, who you are. I'm thankful, Lord Jesus, that you do these signs and these miracles and these wonders and you have power and nature. God, Lord, today that you came down and shooed, Lord, and shown yourself among men. Lord, I pray, God, that we might believe, that we might become obedient. I pray, oh God, today, help us, Lord, even as a church, even now, continue to be that representative, Lord, in the earth. I pray, oh God, Help us to operate in the name and the nature and the power, Lord, of the one Jesus that sent, Lord, you. I pray, God, today, Lord, be with your people this week. Strengthen them and minister them in their lives in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. Next Wednesday, it will be ages 11 and under focus. Sister McGee will be here. Lord only knows what will happen with her. You just have to come and see. Worship a little bit as we get prepared here. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.